Welcome to Impacting Jamaica, a podcast series brought to you by the Port Authority of Jamaica, Herb Cement, and the Sajikor Foundation. Impacting Jamaica shines the spotlight on the many, but often ignored, positive happenings, activities, projects, and investments at every level across every sector to inspire, motivate, and excite people everywhere. Impacting Jamaica is powered by Grace Kennedy. Welcome to a special podcast series that aims to identify and celebrate the work of Jamaicans and friends of Jamaica in the diaspora. I am your host, Sinai Flary, and in this episode, I'm so honored to be speaking to the award-winning DJ, radio presenter, and broadcaster, Daddy Ernie. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you? Hey, thank you, Sinai, for having me. I'm not bad. I'm all right. You know, we're getting through the COVID business. Good. Been locked down for over a year now. So, you know, with the with the he- help of the Almighty, we are we are getting through it, and hopefully, we'll come out of it very soon. You know why you're here. We're here to share your incredible story. Mm-hmm. Let's start right at the beginning. You were born in London to Jamaican parents. What was it like yeah. growing up in London at the time that you did? And really paint the picture for us and describe your early life in London town. Well, it was vastly different from how it is now. That is for sure. You know, them days there. It was not long after the war, actually, without giving away too much. <laughs> you know, it was it, it was about, I don't know, maybe 44, 1944, the war finished. So, you know, it was about a dozen years after the war. So um, as you can imagine, London was in a bit of a state. Hence, our parents came from the Caribbean, which uh, now they know as the Windrush generation. But, you know, they were promised um, the streets were paved with gold and the whole cabossal that we know now, which uh, they were really sold a lie, to put it bluntly. But they came and they made the best of it. My parents settled in Paddington, Portnell Road, uh, for people who know Paddington. And it was a community that was heavily Jamaican, African, and, you know, Dominica, St. Lucians. It was a right mix of, of black people. And within that, of course, you had indigenous people, for want of a better word, all mixed in there. And, you know, I think as a youth, they didn't really understand us. And growing up within that area, it was tough, but it kind of shaped us. For, for the years ahead, you know. So um, mum and dad, the usual scenario, the old man was a builder. Mum was a domesticated worker, so she worked in the laundry. Uh, they had a laundry called Advance Laundry. She worked in the laundry and she had a cleaning job as well. My mer- memory serves me right because most people in them times there, they more or less had to have two jobs. Big family, I mean, there were six of us. Not at that particular time, but in total, there were six of us. I think three three of us was born in Paddington. So, and it, it was a scenario of one room as well. I mean, I know you've heard the stories mm-hmm. um, of the one room and you kind of beard, eat, sleep, drink, everything in the one room. So we was at 18 Portnell Road, which is at the bottom. Then we move up to 167 Portnell Road. And my first primary school was Queen's Park Junior School in, in Droop Street. To tell you the truth, I haven't got too much memories of that school, you know, because we was young. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. know what I mean? We was little and we didn't, you know, we went to school and we just done what we had to do when we come home. So when we left there, Paddington, we went up to the great, we moved up town. We went to Cricklewood, <laughs> which was kind of a, a, a kind of a posh area over in them times over in Northwest London, you know? I don't know. My father was a, a builder. He had a sound system as well. Um, so I suppose, well, he was busy because I can remember him loading up the van and going to Derby and Birmingham and playing around London and that. So, you know, I suppose he managed to gather a few quid and um, we went up to Anson Road in Cricklewood and we was there for a few years, not many years, reasons that I don't really want to go into, but we was there for a few years. Um, and when we left there, we was with my uncle in Cricklewood for a little while. Then we moved to Harlesden and I was I was about 10 then, 9, 10. And that is where we stayed and, okay. until I left home. Until I left home, I don't know, uh, just approaching my 20s. And yeah. that was kind of the the mainstay of my life. That From Harlesden until I, until I left home. And even then, I wasn't far. I was in Stonebridge, so I wasn't too far from Harlesden. So it's really Northwest 10 that really shaped my whole career, you know? Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned Harlesden because we are going to come back to Harlesden a bit later on. I mean, mm. what was it like growing up in London with Jamaican parents? I mean, how did, you know, them being from Jamaica shape you and mould you? And tell us about how important that was for you in terms of them instilling in you certain values and stuff from back home. Well, you know, as growing up as kids, you know, they, they never used to really take a check really you was it was well disciplined you know what i mean you nowadays you know i i, I hear kids talking back to their parents and telling their parents what to do you would never ever dream of doing anything like that when when we was growing up you know if we went if we went out on a visit and them days they used because the community was small you tended to visit your uncles and your aunties and friends and it was basically you went there and you sat down and you never spoke, not unless you were spoken to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So the discipline, the discipline was heavy. And I think if you look at my generation, I think you see that within the majority of us that, you know, you must have had a really stern upbringing. You know, there wasn't, you, you wouldn't be on the road cussing or anything like that. And my mum or dad's friend hear you doing that mm. because they actually could give you a clip around the ear for, yeah. you know, as they used to say, they give you a clip and then carry on to your parents or tell your parents and you know, you got a problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we was very, we was very focused and make, making sure that we didn't bring no disrespect onto the family. We didn't disrespect nobody. And it was, and, and that kind of um, gave us a strong foothold to carry us through life, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, so you're basically saying there was no such thing as a roadman back then. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. That came way, way down with, you know, I mean, you had you had the teddy boys, which was the white, the white guys. You had some teddy boys and, you know, skinheads. And we had, you know, the first, for want of a better word, bad boys um, was the rude boys. You had the rude boys, you know, when we was growing up, but nothing like what it is now yes there was a conflict there was actually there was a lot of conflict 
between the skinheads and the rude boys because obviously we was fighting to get a foothold within London. You know, our parents came here and they had a lot of problems with the Teddy Boys um, when they first came here. But they fought and they come to you and then us as youths coming up now, you had the rude boys, them, you know, we we fought our peer group because some of them was rude, as we call them, rank and fiercely. So we had to kind of hold our ground, you know. But in the end, it, it, it kind of come together. I mean, I've got a lot, a lot of white friends who I was at school with them from before I was even in teenage years. And we're still friends. There's a few of them that I see regularly. And there's some that anytime we meet up, it's nice. The vibes is nice. Mm -hmm. But make no mistake, we had to fight. Seriously fight to make our presence felt and to get a foothold in um, within Northwest 10, you know. But if I was doing, if I was, if they said, would you do it again? I'd say, yeah, because it toughened us, man. And it it made us think about things and, and know that we had to be, better than them to get you mm-hmm. um and even then you could be better than them and don't get you so we just fought our corner man and just done what we had to do yeah and i say this as somebody um from the next generation after you thank you for you know all the sacrifices that your generation and the generation before you made to enable people like me to you know walk down the street and be relatively mm. safe in london it wasn't always like that like you said and I just want to say from me to you, thank you. I know it wasn't easy. Yeah, it wasn't solely me. <laughs> I know, but you're in this no, conversation, but, but I, I um, want to say thank you for, you know, for whatever you had to put up with. And I, I've, I've heard stories, so I know, hmm. I know, you know. Let's touch on um, your father now. You mentioned he was a sound system operator. Um, tell us about some of the most memorable moments yeah. you remember being around him as a sound man and how that impacted you to pursue a career in, in music and Jamaican sound system culture? Well, you know something, what, what um, people under, should understand is when they first came here, they had to make their own entertainment really and truly, because you know the entertainment that was here wasn't nothing that they could really um, associate themselves with. So you'd find that, um, you know, the house part is, uh, and this was even before Shubins, the, you know, the house parties, the whole gathering of the community. It was special. And me and my, my um, cousin, Christine, we were very good dancers. You know, we could shuffle and skia. And that was the main two things when we was growing up. So we used to kind of just go. People used to request for us to come with him and dance. And they used to pay us to dance. You know, I can't even remember how much we used to get, maybe one and six or a shilling or something like that. Um, but that is really my memory of really going with him. And it wasn't often, it weren't often, often. It like, weren't like every week or everything like that. But when we did go, it was mainly because of that. As far as, his, I, you know, the, the songs that I remember him playing, of course, was Toots, Owen Gray, Facts Domino, people from that era, the real early stuff, you know, Toots and the Maytels, um, he was huge on that. Um, he loved the Fats Domino. And uh, yeah, I would say that he was reasonable, but I wouldn't say that he was the one who really instigated me becoming the DJ, you know, because his era, once again, was very, it was them. You know, it was, it was, they were the big people and they done their thing. 
but you couldn't really, I couldn't really say, yeah, dad, I wanted to play the sound or anything like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? That wasn't, that weren't <laughs> even on the record, but it's just the memories of music being in the house. And uh, once again, a lot of youths of my era, all of us had a little team when we became teenagers, you know, that we all, the majority of them, if you talk to a lot of them, they had a little sound system or a little, a little stereo or something going on because they was brought up with music in the house you know so they just kind of it just kind of rolled on naturally to say that he really influenced me he, he never really influenced me into the sound it was only that he had a sound system and I, I was aware of it and um him him and my mum split up when we was well I was the eldest I was in my teens just in my teens and, and we split up and I they split up and I hadn't got a sound system then you know so it was really what kind of inspired me was my peer group because everybody had a little, like I say, everybody had a little sound system. So I have to go and get a sound system. <laughs> you know what I mean? The formative years was, um, you know, you won't know this, but we had a little, I mean, nowadays the, I've lapped up on all that business, but you know, you know, that was completely unheard of. <laughs> you know what I mean? We had a little, a little record player with a couple of knobs and we kind of, added to it so we had that and then we got it had a speaker in there then we got two speakers and attached it up um to it and that was my first sort of um sound system along with my brother and then from there we managed to get an amplifier a little 50 watt linear amplifier and get a couple more for want of a better word some better boxes and that and a little separate turntable so we're moving now we've we've, we've advanced because we got an amplifier and we got a turntable and we got a couple of speaker boxes. Um, so we've advanced. Um, and then when we when I went into secondary school, that's really where we sort of um, came together with um, my, my brethren, Grant, he, me and him still brethren now, um, and our next brother, um, Harold. I mean, we're all still brethren. And we decided that we're going to get this sound, President Downbeat. So, you know, we was doing, our, you know, Ronald's dad had a record shop and, you know, we was doing our little Saturday jobs. Who was doing paper round, was doing paper round, who was delivering paraffin, was doing that. And we kind of all, I was, I was in a green grocery shop that by then. I started working in a green grocery shop, the first green grocery shop in Halsden. And I was working there after school and Saturdays. And we managed to get a few pounds together and that and uh yeah we 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 really upgraded now we managed to get ourselves a nice 150 watt amplifier and two about well, four big bucks and tunes is running you know what i mean so that is kind of where it kicked off sound system wise to me and from there we we progressed to hawkeye international which was in the eighties of, I moved too fast forward now. <laughs> oh, that's fine. That's fine. I'm following. <laughs> yeah. And you know, we, we, what happened was that the shop that I used to work at the green grocery shop, you know, I always say he's kind of my mentor, um, Roy Forbes Allen of Hawkeye records. He used to work for Trojan records. I um, mean, one of their record shops in uh, Shepherd's Bush market. Um, and he used to import seven-inch singles from Jamaica. I mean, he's a major, well, no matter what anyone says, he's a major player 
in that period between the eight, uh, the, the early eighties and the the nineties to the mid nineties. He's a major player, but he's a man who don't give too much interviews. So it'd be difficult for you to get him to to speak about his um impact. But um, he used to import seven inch records loads now he was the main man and you know when the records coming we used to go down his yard in shepherd's bush unpack the records you know we i had access to get first pickings so you know whatever we got we got um and one day the shop uh orkai records hope opened in the early 80s um and one day tavistock ladies had a uh netball dance and they asked me to play. The sound that was playing was a sound called um, Remus. Re, um, was it Rema? Rema? Rema sound, I think. Yeah, Rema. It was called Rema sound. And there was a few guys around the sound who we know. So what we done, we they were playing. We was playing at Tavistock Hall, and um, you know we went down there and that, and we put a Hawkeye twelve-inch sleeve over the Rema emblem. You know, um, it was owned by a, a, a an elder man um, by the name of Tim. God rest his soul. Great guy. And that is the beginning of Hawkeye International. Um, from that night there, you know, it was Hawkeye International was born. And for quite a few years, we was with Tim and we done all around. You, you name it, People's Club. We, we used to go Wales, Great Yarmouth. Oh, untold places and then later on now we kind of managed to get a hawkeye i managed to get a hawkeye international sound with a loan from my great friend jerry who's he's at hawkeye records up to today if you go there you'll see him <laughs> you know um and we managed to get hawkeye international sound and that was kind of the official thing coming up now because you know we was representing hawkeye records mm. uh so we had to be on point, you know, and from there, all kind of international kind of took the road without being um, like a, a Saxon or a Coxon or a Java or anything like that. We was kind of a little party sound, ladies, enough ladies, enough rear, rear, rear around, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And we had we had some great times, some absolutely outstanding times, yeah. you know. And we know Hawkeye Record Shop is still based in Harlesden. Still um, based. Yeah, still based in Harlesden. Yeah. And I wanted to say one word to you, but you, you kind of jumped the gun earlier because you mentioned uh. Harlesden. So I wanted to say one word to you and I wanted to see your reaction. So I was going to say Harlesden. Oh, the centre <laughs> of the earth. <laughs> and I, the, the, reason, the reason I'm mentioning Harlesden is because, you know, it is in northwest London and it has a very large Jamaican community and it ha it became the hub of of everything relating to Jamaica, whether it's music, culture, food, during the eighties and nineties, and still very much is even up to this day. Um, tell me about your time that you spent in Halston and how that really became, you know, the center and the focal point for reggae music in the UK. You know, people hear about Halston, but you had to be actually living there or be there to really understand um, what Halston is all about. You know, us as kids growing up in Halston, it was an absolutely phenomenal place. You know, it had the most record shops. Children Records was just based in, in Wilsdon, which was, you know, it was 20 minutes down the road from where Hawkeye is now, probably even 15 minutes 
down the road. You had Jetstar, which was Soundville Records before it became Jetstar. Um, you had the late Count Shelley had his shop down there. You had a shop called All Ears. You had a shop called Creole. Uh, the late Sonny Roberts, who passed away a couple of weeks, had Orbiton Records down there. You had Bus Stop Records in Wilsdon. You had um, Gangsterville in Kensal Rise. You had Desmond Hip City in Kensal Rise. He, we, we, but it was all them times there, whether it was Kensal Rise or Paddington or Kensal Green or Willesden, it was West London, Northwest London. There was no postcode business or nothing. It was just Northwest London. And everybody knew everybody and everybody moved around. And, there, you know, it was just an outstanding place to be for music, for sports, for food, for going out. We had so many places that we could go and rave, you know, midweek, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, youth clubs. We had so many, we, there was so much to do. Mm-hmm. Sometime I go down there now and, you know, sometime I just stand up and, and kind of just reminisce mm-hmm. and think, oh man, look what they've done to this place. You know, it's still there now, but it's vastly changed. You know, it's, it's like um, slowly but surely it's becoming like a Brixton or, or a Hackney or a Nottingham Gate where it's been uh, rejuvenated. Is that the word that they use? Regenerated. Or gentrified. Yeah, gentrified. Um, You know, and in a few years' time, it will be. You know, when I moved to Stonebridge, I lived in a a block called, was it, I think, no, it wasn't Eastcox House. Was it Eastcox House? But anyway, the block that we moved, like, you know, was on the 14th floor. And at one stage, there was only about six people in the whole block. Wow. You know what I mean? Before, because they'd just built Stonebridge and they were just moving people in there. Mm-hmm. So we was one of the first down Stonebridge. You know, when people talk about Stonebridge, I mean, it's it's changed a lot now, but when people talk about Stonebridge in its bad days, um, I say to them, boy, the Stonebridge that I know was just harmonious. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And once again, you just class that as ours then, Northwest London, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So for me... It was a great place to be. And it still is, you know, there's not many weekends that I don't leave from where I am and, and just drive down to Halston, obviously go and check Jerry at Hawkeye Records. They got the food shop next door, Pepper Pot, which is all part of Hawkeye Records. Mm-hmm. So we go down there and get some food and some muns on the corner and, that, and we just catch up on, on what's going on. I remember, I remember when, because Hawkeye Records was actually started next door to the shop that it is now. Because now Blue Mountain Peak's got about five shops. But um, Hawkeye Records actually started next door. And, you know, when Forbes Allen, Dr. Hawkeye said he's going to do this shop and he's going to have a record shop and a food shop. He's going to get the end shop and split it in half. This is un- um, entrepreneurial business running now. Um, he's going to split it in half and he's going to have a record shop and a food shop. Man, say so you're mud. <laughs> you can't do that. You know what I mean? But, you know, he done it. And, you know, we was all part of the process of that movement down there. And, uh, yeah, man, some great characters come out of Halston. Some fabulous singers come out of, well, I say Halston, out of Northwest London. And it was just, there was no artist that came to London. You know, I'm talking Dennis Brown, Gregory, Delroy Wilson, Sugar Miner, you name them. 
there's no way they come to London and they don't come down to Northwest London, Northwest then, because that was the center of the music business. Mm-hmm. And and it was a privilege to be there at that time because you know I I met all the artists them and we grew up kind of grew up together and you know we thought these people were kind of I thought Dennis Brown was like years older than me or you know me and him was more or less the same age yeah you know what yeah. I mean um and and you know it's fantastic absolutely fantastic yeah it's so nice to hear you speak about um you know, an area of London so fondly, because often I think a lot of people tend to think, oh, London, it's all one place, but you have to realise each area is quite different and quite unique. And I don't think you're really going to get anywhere as similar as to Harlesden. Maybe maybe Brixton back in the day, perhaps there were some similarities, but I find Harlesden so unique and so special when we're talking about reggae music and Jamaican culture. I always have to throw in that question when I'm speaking to people like yourself. Well, you know, Brixton, Brixton, you see, Brixton is very special as well because Brixton is the, the the gateway to South London. Yeah. You know, it, it, you, you, is it the Victoria line that goes to Brixton, right? Yeah, Victoria line. So, right. And that is the end of the line. So wherever, whenever you land in Brixton, if you want to go Croydon, Thornton Eve, whatever, you have to go Brixton and make your connections. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Um, and of course... The, the world famous Brixton market. I mean, over our side, we had Shepherd's Bush market. But yeah. <laughs> every now and again, our folks used to head to Brixton market. That was like a day out. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, so Brixton is a very special place as well. I mean, I didn't grow up in Brixton. So, you know, somebody who grew up in Brixton will probably tell you the same stories that I'm telling you. Um, from their side, Hackney is the next place as well, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Labrick Grove is the next place as well. All these places, yeah. we yeah. were there, and it was it was fun, man. It yeah, was fun. absolutely. And it's funny you're mentioning like all these areas because like I grew up in Shepherd's Bush. I still live in Shepherd's Bush, and it's like hearing your story sound very similar to like the stories my own dad and my own mom told me about Shepherd's Bush Market going to Halton mm-hmm. sometimes, you know. So. It's definitely like a universal experience. I want to thank Daddy Ernie, award-winning DJ, radio presenter, reggae music advocate, and living legend for joining me on Impact Jamaica, Boosting a Nation. I want to wish you all the best for whatever you have in store for 2021 and beyond. Thank you very much and thank you for having me. Impacting Jamaica was brought to you by the Port Authority of Jamaica, Carib Cement, and the Sagicor Foundation. If you or anyone you know is involved with projects and activities that excite, motivate, and encourage, send us an email at impactingjamaica at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. You'll join us again for another in the series on SoundCloud, Google Podcast, Stitcher, or on Deezer. You can also visit us at impactingjamaica.com. Impacting Jamaica is powered by Grace Kennedy.